You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Slaves No Longer, we walk through Romans chapter 6 and explore the beautiful truth that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. So what we've been doing over the last two weeks is we've been looking at what God has declared to be true of us. What he has declared to be true of each one of us that is in Christ. And what declaration he is making for us in Romans chapter 6 is that we have died to sin. We are dead to sin. Sin no longer has power over us. This is a statement of fact. This is not something that is happening. This is something that has happened already through what Christ has done. Sin no longer has any power over us if you are in Christ, if you are united with Christ. We have been transferred um, from the union with Adam, which leads to death, to the union of Christ, which leads to life. Again, the text that we have been focusing on last week and will continue to focus on this week as, as part of a, a two-part time together in these, in these verses as we're trying to pull out, I'm trying to pull out, what exactly does it mean that we are united with Christ? So what, Joe? You, you, you say union with Christ. Paul says it all the time. I'm in Christ. I'm in Jesus. I'm in God. What does that meaning? And we've been trying to flush that out a little bit. We will continue to do so today. So the text, again, we've been looking at is just the verses 3 through 7. So let me read them and pray, and then we're going to dive in and kind of move the move the can down the road a little bit further in, in our understanding what it means to be united with Christ. Verse 3 says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Actually, let me go back to verses 1 and 2. Because this is kind of sets up the whole argument. He's, he's making these rhetorical questions where he's either arguing with himself as a good teacher or possibly we're not positive if there's someone that, that made this objection that, wait a minute, if, if grace abounds, which is the end of chapter 5, when we sin, then let's go sin a bunch so that we get more grace, right? That seems to be the argument leading into chapter 6. And in the first two verses, he asks these questions. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We've died to sin. How can we still live in it? We're not going to sin in order that we get more grace. No way you can do that because you are now dead to sin. You have died to sin. Verse 3, let me continue then. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead uh, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is where I can get in the union with Christ language. It's all through Paul's writings. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, hence the name 
of our series, Slaves No Longer. Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask again for your spirit to help me communicate well, Lord. And most of all, for the spirit to take my bumblings and all of my misspeaking. And Lord, by your spirit, you will change people sitting in this room today. That's just amazing. And it's all done by your spirit and your word. And Father, we just ask that that you would do so today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what Paul is doing here, we've already stated some of this, and I'm just trying to refresh, keep, keep it in mind. What Paul is doing here is he's connecting our position, dead to sin, with baptism in verse 4. That's kind of what he's showing us, that this is your position. Yeah, we might not feel like it. Yeah, we still struggle with sin, and we're going to get into that towards the end of the sermon a little bit more. But we are fundamentally, this is your position. Sin no longer has power over you. This is who you are. This is your identity. And this is so massively important, and I'm going to try to unpack that even further today. Why? Why does identity mean so much for us? And I hope today that we'll, we'll walk out of here just understanding a little bit more why it is so important. So baptism portrays our death in the death of Christ. When Christ died, he died our death. In other words, that when you die, whenever you take your last breath, brother and sister, you're not going to die like everyone else because your soul is going to be with Jesus at that moment. The death that you deserved is the one that Christ died on the cross. Which should make it whenever we look at the cross and see what Christ has done, all the more glorious. This is why death no longer has any sting for the Christian, for the person that is united in Christ. Because you are already dead. You've died. Now you're living by the Spirit. You're living a new life. You are a new person. You have been born again. And how do we experience this? We experience this by faith. The old unbelieving, rebellious eye, the eye that always wants to do contrary to what the Word of God says and what what God um, told us to do, he's dead. And the eye who came to life is the eye of faith. Now we live by faith. Our whole life is lived by faith, faith in another, faith in the power of another. And the basis for this is our union with Christ. And that's why this union with Christ is so important. This is what Romans 6, 5 shows us. If you look in the Word, for if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We have been resurrected to the newness of life, which is what verse 4 says at the end. So we have died, and now we've been resurrected. We, we have a new life. Jesus does not make you a better version of you. He makes you a new you. That's incredible. We are a new person. It's not a more authentic version of you, but a new you. You have been born again. That's why Nicodemus couldn't figure this out. What do you mean, Jesus? I need to be born again. I can't go back into my mother's womb. What are you talking about? But you are a new person. Jesus makes us new, gives us a new heart. He gives us a new hope. This is who you are if you are in Christ today. That's who you are. Now, some of us may be walking in today with burdens, 
that's like, man, I just don't feel that way, Joe. I understand that. Some of us may be walking in here today that we've been struggling with a sin all week. I understand that. But that's because what we've done is, is that there's areas in our life where we're not believing the gospel, where we're not believing who we are. And that's why we slip in to sin. That's why the burdens become overwhelming to us. But if we are standing on exactly who we are, those things become lighter. That's why he says, you know, cast your cares on me. Maybe you were thinking, I don't feel new, Joe. I don't have the emotions associated with having a new identity. I'm just, I, I don't have these emotions. I don't feel this. Well, I still struggle. Maybe you're thinking with, you know, I still struggle with depression and anxiety and a desire to sin. I feel like my old self, but I do desire to follow Jesus. And there's the most important thing is that you actually desire to follow him. That, this, that whenever you do sin, you do feel convicted about it. That means the Holy Spirit is in you and is working in you. So let me just comfort you a little bit. Between this, this, this is who I am, this is my identity, but I just don't feel that way. Let me comfort you a little bit. We still live in a physical flesh, the body of sin that we will look at later, which means we're going to struggle with all the burdens of this life and all of the burdens of our sin, all of the burdens that our sin places on us. Because there are consequences to our sin. It's a burden that is put on us. The Christian life is, is determined not by perfection or constant happiness. This whole idea that, that, that oh, I became a, a Christian now, everything's just happy-go-lucky and everything's going to work out for me and everything like that, that's, that's just not in the Bible. In fact, there's a very good back, book back here on the back shelf that says, why did my life just get so much harder? Well, yeah, because now... The Holy Spirit's working in you, and he's showing you all the places in your life that you disobey the Word of God, which, which quenches the Spirit in your life, and things do get harder. So, But you are not determined by that. It's not that you constantly feel happy. It's this. It's by a grace-driven determination to obey Christ in his Word as humbly and joyfully as we can. It is a grace driven determination. All of grace. And we just got done looking at grace and looking how we can pull the promises of God out of the Bible, pulling the, the things of God that says, I'm going to walk in that future grace. I'm going to believe in that future grace that will be there for me. It's a grace uh, driven determination to obey Christ. We will never do it perfectly. Until we have new bodies, we've been glorified, and we're with Jesus face to face. That's the only time that we're going to do it perfectly. This is important to understand. Some days you're not going to feel like a new person, but that does not change the truth about your identity in Christ. It does not change the truth just because you feel a certain way. The truth is the truth, and we know that the Word of God is the truth. We begin each day knowing that we're going to have some trouble. <laughs> the Word of God tells us that. Jesus said that. You're going to have some troubles. Today, there was X amount of troubles lined up for you by God. But the wonderful truth, the wonderful grace that we can walk in is that each morning He gives us the mercies. 
and the grace to walk through that day. And they're sufficient for that day. They're not sufficient for tomorrow. They're not sufficient for next week. But they're sufficient for today. You're not going to feel new until you truly believe that you are new. Our emotions, our feelings, just reveal what we truly believe. Caroline Mahaney, in in her book, uh, True Feelings, says this, Emotions are the reporters for the soul. They tell us about ourselves and our world and how we are processing the events in our lives. Before we form a conscious thought, our emotions are usually on the scene, giving us live updates. They reveal what is going on around us and shine a light down into the depths of our souls. Our emotions tells us what we value and what we believe. So we, we have it flipped around. We're, we're allowing our emotions to determine what is true of us whenever our emotions should reveal what is true of us. Does that make sense? She says it a little bit better than later on. She says, Scripture does not pit feelings and truth against each other, but calls us to feel more deeply about things that are true. In other words, Scripture leads us to have true feelings. Scripture leads us to have true feelings. It's the Word of God that determines that. It's knowing what the truth is about us and then believing that truth that will cause the right feelings. Brother and sister, your true identity is a gift from God. Who you are in Christ is a a gift from God. So often we we get this wrong. We construct a self by the roles and the accomplishments listed on a resume, don't we? By material status or parental roles. So often we get misaligned with what the Bible says because we define ourselves by those things instead of what Jesus says about us. We sometimes base it on money or the lack thereof, on achievements or failures, on the approval of others, or the rejection of others. All these things that we're listening to, are they defining us? It's a a great song that we led into the sermon with. Your life is defined by what the Word of God says you are. We often allow our sins to define us. I'm an angry person. No, you're not. You're a saint who is angry. There's a giant difference in those two statements. I'm an addict, an anxious people pleaser. Even even us Christians, right? Even as a Christian, sometimes we hide our identity or we believe our identity is somewhere that is a good thing, but it's not the right thing, right? My identity might be anchored in something that is not God, such as, well, I know a lot of the Bible, and that's my identity. Well, maybe it's my giftedness. Whatever my giftedness is, that's my identity. Maybe even sometimes it's the church that you attend becomes your identity. And so on and so forth. But brother and sister, again, I know I'm, I'm beating the horse, right? I'm continually saying the same thing over and over again in different ways because I just want you to understand your identity in Christ is so important. It is so important. 
In each case, your sense of identity comes unglued from God whenever we, whenever we look to these other things for our identity. It comes unglued from God who actually defined you. There's a divorce, so to speak, that happens. Now, I, I think it's worth a minute to be reminded how much identity matters and how it affects our everyday lives. Explain why you are, um, why did we go here? That's what I want to do. I want to try to explain why this is important. Because so many times that, that we, we, we latch on to these identities and this then defines who we are. And then whenever the word of we're God or we read the word of God, we're, we put that to the side because we've been living in this identity for so long. But what Paul's coming along and saying is, is no, you're, you're dead to the sin and different things that may identify. You are united with Christ. You're a, a new person in Christ. That is who you are. When we believe what Scripture says about who we are, it fundamentally changes how we interact with ourselves in the world around us. It just fundamentally changes how we, we interact with the people around us and with the world around us. David Palton gives us a good idea. He gives us five basic realities to orient us to who God says we are. The first one says this. Your true identity is who God says you are. Your true identity is who God says you are. You will never discover who you are by looking inside yourself or listening to what others say. You will never find your identity that way. The world around you, the, the, everyone around you is saying, you know, the, even so many of the movies that we watch, they say, oh, just, just look inside of yourself. There's good in there, but the Bible says opposite before you're in Christ. Just look in there, find something good in there, and that's how you become better. That's how you find your identity. I just want to walk you through something. This should be massive. We, we're all experiencing this in, 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 in heartbreaking ways in many ways. Think of a, a young child who has been told that they can change their what, if, whether or not they're a boy or a girl by identifying a different way. Just walk through this with me. If you, if you don't catch anything else today, I mean, at least catch the, the, the world that you live in today. So what is happening with this, say, this 10-year-old child that was born a boy that, that says, no, I want to be a girl. I want to identify as a girl. I'm no longer a boy. I'm now a girl. What is happening? Well, what has happened to that person? They have listened to things on the outside to try to identify who they truly are. What have they listened to? Well, they've, they've listened to friends, possibly. They've listened to um, maybe a curriculum or things within the school that a teacher is forced to teach. Maybe it's social media. I'm sure social media has a, a big part in this. So stop and think about this. They're, they're, they're hearing all this from all these different things in in order to determine who they are. Now, let's step back a little bit further. What, what we've been learning here and what, what, what Paul says in chapter 5 is 
Everybody in this world, every person in this world are one of two things. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. There's no halfway in between, right? And if you're in Adam, you are separated from God. You are separated from God, right? Now, whenever you stop and think about that, okay, so all these people that, that are not in Christ, we are, we are to love them because we don't know who Christ is going to cause to be born again or not. We give the gospel to everyone. We love them, right? Don't, don't hear me that there's a us against them because every one of us was, was in Adam at one point in time. That's exactly what Paul was saying. But what Ephesians 2 tells us this, is everybody that's in Adam, he says it a little bit differently. He says that we are controlled, we are, we are under the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, by the way. That's who that is. In fact, Jesus says the same thing, that, that Satan is the father of lies, that, that either, either in the world, the, the ruler of this world is Satan, right? If you are in Christ today, you are a sojourner. Your citizenship is not an American. Your citizenship is in heaven. We are just passing through, right? This is, this is what the Bible pictures for us. So if we go back to this little person, this, this 10-year-old that's this getting all this influence, most of that influence, I hope and pray, are, are by those that are in Adam, because if it's someone in Christ and we need to pull them aside and correct them, then that means that all these people are influenced by who? By the prince of the power of the air. And we know that the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. So stop and think about this. This is the world that you live in. We, we don't like to think of it this way, even though we have whole chapters like chapter 6, where Paul tells us that, that we don't wrestle with flesh. We wrestle, there's a, there's a cosmic war happening around us. We just don't believe it. So now, stop and think about that. So let me ask you a question. Let's be honest. Because this is a question I've been asking myself a lot. When you leave here today, and until you come back next week, where's your balance? How much of the world are you listening to that is ruled by Satan, that is going to consistently always do one thing, move you away from God, versus how much of the truth are you putting in your life? Saint, you wonder why you struggle so much? This is why we struggle so much. This is why we struggle so much. And I, and, I, and I think that many times we lose sight of the cosmic battle that is happening. That there is somebody after you. He's lost. He's lost the war. But there's still some battles happening. And today he takes us home. This is why our identity and who we are and believing and trusting in the word of God and who he says we are is so important because then we end up like the 10-year-old who has been told all the lies. Who says, Mom, Dad, I want to change who I am. How many times do we do that in a week? That we, we know what Christ has said and, and who we are, but we're like, no, I'm going to live like the world tells me I should live. Like the 
you know, like social media tells me I should live, or, or this website, or anything that's produced by those that are in Adam, right? Now, he's given us a spirit. We got to live in this world. We got to discern all this, yes. But stop and think how important your identity is and where you get your identity. Your true identity is who God says you are. The Lord gets the first word because he made you. That's why he gets the first word. Because he's the one that created you. If we, can't, if we do not believe Genesis 1 and 2, then just throw the rest of the Bible out. He's the one that made us. He gets the first word. He gets the daily word because you live before his face. You, you live before him each and every day. He gets the last word because he will administer your final comprehensive life review. One day we will stand before him at the final judgment and we'll look back at your life. And hopefully we are in Christ. We can stand there with complete confidence on that day because we are in Christ. And we can just point to our older brother, Christ, and say, hmm, he, he did it. I know I failed 20 million times, but Christ didn't. And I'm in Christ. I put my faith in him. The second thing he says is your true identity is inseparably connects you to God. Everything you ever learn about who God is, his identity correlates specifically to something about you, who you are. For example, your father knows your need means you are always a dependent child. You're always dependent. Dependent on who? On the father, God. You are a dependent. That's who you are. So if you're a dependent child, then therefore there's no shame, there's no guilt in asking for help. There's no shame, there's no guilt in saying, I struggle with sin. Because I'm a, I'm a dependent child. And so are you. And so is the next Christian. And the next Christian. This is fundamentally who we are. Jesus Christ is our Lord, means you are always a servant. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. If I am a disciple of Jesus, if I'm a follower of Jesus, therefore I am a servant. That means that when I look at my life, I don't think of everything that I want to do. I think of, okay, how can I love on others? That's a life defined by who you are. Discipling is not something you do. It's you first have to be a disciple, and then it just overflows out of you. The third thing, who God is also correlates with how you express your core identity as your various roles in life development. For example, the Bible says that God's compassion for you is like that of a father with his children. You will always be a dependent child at your core. But as you grow up into God's image, you become increasingly able to care for others in a fatherly way. So as you grow, as you mature, the purpose of what we do here, the, the purpose of my job in Ephesians 4 is, is to allow you to teach you, to equip you to do the work in the ministry so that you grow up to maturity. And that growing up to maturity doesn't mean that you're a consumer and just sit and consume and consume. That means that you go and pour whatever's in your cup into somebody else's cup. Why? Because you're in Christ. You're part of a body. We are all connected. When one person suffers, everybody suffers. It's just amazing how, how God has designed all this. It just, just blows my mind. Number four, David Powelson says, a true and enduring identity is, is a complex gift of Christ's grace. He gives a new identity in an act of mercy. 
then his spirit makes it a living reality over a lifetime. When you see him face to face, you will know him as he truly is, as you will fully know who you are. It's a gift. It's a gift of Christ's grace. And it is an act of mercy. And then the fifth thing is, is your new and true identity connects you to God's other children in a common calling. It is not individual. I knew I'd mess this up. It is not individualistic. You are one member in the living body of Christ. You are one member in a living body of Christ. Every core aspect of a person's identity expresses some form of humility, need, submission, and dependency before the Lord. Every core aspect of a person's identity expresses some form of humility, need, submission, and dependency before the Lord. Just think through the last thing that David said here. That we are in Christ. If your identity is tied to your union with Christ, then you are a member of the living body of Christ. We are not simply in Christ as isolated individual persons, since Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. All who are in union with Christ are also related to one another in his body. This joining together makes us one body in Christ and individually members one another. Romans 12.5 says this, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. This is who you are. This is part of your identity. That you are part of a body. Thus, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We'll rejoice at the end. God has called Daniel and Lynette to go and under-shepherd a church under the, the true shepherd, Jesus. And we're going to rejoice with them today in this calling as we pray for them as they go out. We're one body. Jesus states it even more incredibly. He says this in, in John 17, 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. To hear Jesus praise that our unity will be like the perfect unity between the Father and the Son in the, Spirit, in, the, in the Trinity. This is a reminder to us that our unity should be eternal and also that union with Christ will never swallow up our individual personalities. Yes, we are united. We are together. We are one body, but our individual personalities don't get swallowed up into that. The three within the Trinity are in perfect unity. However, they remain three distinct persons. The Son, the Spirit, and the Father. Joe, why are you going on and on about identity and union with Christ? Because this is the new life that Paul is speaking of in verse 4. Two weeks. And I probably could do another five weeks on it. This is the new life. This is who we are in Christ. This is the resurrected life in verse 5. That is all I am trying to show us. That's it. But let's finish up verses 6 and 7 as we wind down here. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
For one who has died has, put, has been set free from sin. Paul continues in verse 6 and 7 to explain the ethical implications of the union with Christ. The reason all this makes sense is the, is the believers know, or at least should know, that they have been crucified with Christ. We should know that. That's something we should know. We have left the domain of darkness and the dungeon of sin, and now we are in his glorious kingdom, and we are now child of the king of that kingdom. The old self, the old man, the person that was in Adam is crucified with Christ, and there are two immediate consequences. The first one is the body of sin has been brought to nothing. What does Paul mean by the body of sin? To understand this, we must first know that the old man and the new man do not exist together in the same body. The old man, Paul tells us, has been crucified with Christ, and this is a once and for all distinctive act. Been crucified with Christ. The old man that was united to Adam is dead. That's what the whole passage is about. It's dead. The body Paul is speaking of here is the actual, is our actual human bodies. Right? We, we are soul and body. Our soul lives forever. One day we will get a new body. A new body does not desire to sin as ever. We know our bodies have instincts, hunger, sex, thirst. And each one of, this, one of us think. We think constantly, don't we? It's like our mind's always running. Like you're probably sitting here saying, is he ever going to stop talking? I just want to see if you're awake. Paul says that the body of believers is no longer conditioned and controlled by sin. Hunger no longer has to control you. Lust no longer has to control you. An unhealthy thought life no longer has to control you. You have been set free from that bondage. However, the struggle still remains. Why? Because we are still here on earth in mortal bodies that have not yet been fully redeemed. Right? We have been brought out of the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. And one day, we will be delivered from the presence of sin. Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us to understand this a little bit. Sin remains in its influence upon the body. I myself, as a being, a spiritual being, am entirely and eternally outside the realm of sin's influence, but has pleased God in his eternal wisdom to leave sin in the body. There's a kind of parallel with this in the Old Testament, and this illustration really helped me understand this. God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. He took them across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, across the Jordan, and gave them the promised land. But he let certain of the nations in the promised land, and his people had to struggle with them. It seems to me that we have a very wonderful parallel there between God's way of dealing with his ancient people on, the, on that level and God's way of dealing with his people now on the spiritual level. The body is not yet delivered from the effects of sin in the fall, but I am delivered. So just as the Israelites were, were given the promised land, there were some people left in the promised land that they had to deal with. Well, we have been completely delivered from the power of sin. But because we're still in this fleshly body that has instincts and desires, we are left to deal with them. But we are not left alone. We've, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given the body of Christ. And we've been given the Word of God to fight those desires. All the while knowing what our identity is. 
We have been united with Christ, and we are in him. Paul's whole argument is telling us, you, Christian, you are dead to the power of sin. Although sin still remains in your body, your instincts, your thoughts, and so on and so forth, that sin no longer can control you. Why? Because you have been crucified with Christ. You have been taken out of a union with Adam and put into, you've been united with Christ. Just like Israel had to battle the people that were in the land, we battle each day with the sin that remains in our body. But the good news is that sin no longer has claim on us. It no longer has claim on us. We have been delivered from the penalty in, of sin, which is death, and from the power of sin because we now choose to glorify God in all that we do. Because we have already died, we have been raised to newness of life. Which leads to the second consequence. Brother and sister, you are free. You are free. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You are free to sin no longer. You are slaves no longer. And my simple question to you is, do you believe that today? Let's pray. Father, I just ask for your spirit to work. Lord, maybe there's some here that that you have, through your spirit, have identified, hey, wait a minute, I, maybe I'm, I believe this is who I am because of something other than what the Word of God says. Lord, I pray that, that they would turn from that and trust in, in you today. And Father, if there's one here that, that is still in Adam, Lord, that, that there's one here that does not follow you and does not believe that Jesus is God, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit has changed their hearts and given them faith. And, and right now, I, I pray that they would turn from whatever they're trusting in and trust in you and trust in all that you say that we are and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He took the penalty of sin. We've been delivered from the power of sin. And oh Lord, we look, we so long for the day that we... We are delivered from the presence of sin. But until then, you have given us your spirit, your church, and your word that we may, with grace-filled determination, we may strive to obey you and to love others. And Lord, I pray that you would help us do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.